the Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome back to Just Love, our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world through the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. You know, our Catholic social teaching is incredibly rich. In some ways, it's pretty simple because there's some basic realities or truths or beliefs or values that are part of it. The dignity of the human person made in God's image and likeness. Family, the importance of family and being that core block of society. And parenthetically, that's why currently there's a lot of difficulties because families struggle. And then we talk about another building block of that is work, the dignity of work. We work to support ourselves. We work to participate in God's creative work. And so that workers are treated with dignity is critically, critically important. And then we have the concern for, as we've been talking about on Just Love in a variety of ways, of solidarity, that we need to realize that God is not the God of any one country or one people, but he is the God of the universe. And so our concern with what's going on in other places is critically important. And the other issue is that things aren't equal in a lot of ways, so that an important part of our uh, faith is realizing that those who are poor have a particular call on our attention and our concern. And then finally, we kind of talk about all of creation and the need to protect and to nurture the creation of which God has made us stewards. So those are the perspectives that we bring to our conversations each week. And we bring those perspectives and we say, so what's going on in the world from those um, from those uh, from those uh, perspectives? And uh, so when we look at guests and we look at a variety of different guests, um, those are the values that we bring bring to them. So as we are in the Easter season now, we continue to celebrate the joy of the resurrection. We celebrate uh, Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And I know we don't usually think about it, but the Easter time, Tom, how many days is the Easter time? Oh, I should know this, Monsignor. Uh, 50? Yep. Oh, I got it. Good. <laughs> and how, many days, how many days are Lent? Oh, Lent is oh, six weeks. That's easy. <laughs> so 40, 40. 40. 40, yes. Okay, good. Come on, don't overthink this. Uh, so, so, but, you know, we, we kind of is a little bit of a, of a help to us to say, yeah, 40 days of preparation, of penance, prayer, good works, getting ready for the Paschal Mystery to celebrate the cross, and then 50 days to celebrate the life. So the life is more important. But but reality is, most Catholics couldn't tell us that there are 50 days of Easter. Mm -hmm. 40 days of Lent, most would get right. But the 50 days of Easter Easter is a little a little bit less esoteric I'm sorry, it's more esoteric because 
you know, we don't have the traditional practices that we associate with with Lent. So anyway, so this week I'm delighted that we're going to speak about at the essence of the Paschal mystery, um, the passion which leads to the resurrection and, and Easter. So our guest uh, is J.J. Wright, who is the director of the Notre Dame Folk Choir. And we're going to speak to him about a particularly um, important development that he did in, um, in developing the passion as an album that helps a pilgrimage brew the Lenten season to the passion. J.J. Wright, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Monsignor. Great. So, hey, would you give our listeners a little bit of a sense of your personal story so that they know a little bit about you when we get into the um, into uh, our discussion of the passion? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm currently the director of the University of Notre Dame Folk Choir at the uh, University of Notre Dame in Indiana, um, and I've been here for 11 years now. I did my... Uh, Master's in Sacred Music and Doctorate in Music here at Notre Dame. Um, spent my dissertation year in Rome, um, studying at the Pontifical Institute for Sacred Music, writing my dissertation and interning with the Sistine Chapel Choir, and was immediately uh, got was able to get this job with the Folk Choir. Um, before that, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, a big Catholic family. I've got six siblings. Uh, my parents are in Catholic radio, and um, uh, started playing music from an early age and just uh, caught the bug and and have. Um, uh, got very into jazz music uh, in high school and in college, and then um, ultimately it kind of exists somewhere between uh, being a jazz musician and being a church musician. Well, so I got to ask you, how'd you wind up in Manhattan, in uh, Mount Vernon for two years? Oh man, I, I had a wonderful uh, pastor I worked for named Father John Laurie, and yeah. he um, that was my first church job actually. I I was friends with this, um, or I am friends with an order of Franciscan friars called the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, uh, based out of uh, Harlem in the Bronx there in New York. And um, they became very good friends of my and my wife, uh, me and my wife, when we first moved to the city. And I started playing for their um, kind of community liturgies, and one of them went to um, for a, like a parish mission at at Saint Peter and Paul. And said they're looking for a new music director. Would you would you ever consider that, JJ? And um, we had just had our first child, um, and I was looking for a, for a job, and um, and it just worked out great. So that's that's, that's how great. I ended up there. Yeah. So the so the reason it drew my drew my attention is because I grew up in Yonkers. Oh, great! So uh, just kind of on the other side of the Bronx River. So yep. in, in in there. So um, so uh, so tell us. A little bit about this particular, um, I, I'll, I'll call it a work, The Passion. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, so The Passion is a, um, it's a couple different things. Um, from the 30,000 foot view, um, I like to describe it as like a, uh, a faith formation environment um, for young people to learn how to talk about and be with the hardest things. Um, that could be anything from uh, racial injustice to care for a common home to abortion to uh, the clergy sexual abuse crisis to any of these types of issues that are pressing on on young people's minds um, trying to walk a life of faith and um, and really giving them the space to through the lens of the passion learn how to grapple with those things and see how they might fit into their to their life of faith um, that 
uh, if we kind of zoom in a little bit more, this 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 process, this conversations um, form themselves into an artistic work called the Passion, and it's a ninety-five minute setting of the biblical story um, from from Palm Sunday through the anointing and burial of Jesus. And um, we traveled to Jerusalem last May, where we uh, recorded the piece there in Jerusalem um, while we were on a pilgrimage um, in the Holy Land, and uh, additionally, um, it's a stage production, so it's fully staged. You have kind of lead characters that, um, that speak, um, that have spoken text and, and it's all kind of interwoven together by, by the choir and by these, these songs. And, um, how'd you come up with the idea? Well, the idea started first because one of my colleagues here at Notre Dame, he, he was looking for a way to, uh, he runs the Notre Dame children's choir and he's looking for a way to help invite the, his, his students into conversations about the things that were were the hardest for them and do it and doing it through the light of faith. Um, and so we started just looking around the, the tradition that we have, of course, and uh, the passion stories, passion plays presented themselves as like a really great um, way to, to look at the hardest stuff, the passion. It has all the kind of um, the hardest parts about being human, right? It's got betrayal. It's got torture. It's got death. It's got uh, all these parts of life that are just um, the hardest things to understand. And so it lent itself well to be, to being able to open up the conversation a little bit. And um, so let me ask you this, is there a, can you give us a little bit of an example of, of maybe one of the tracks and one of the pieces, how you kind of looked at it? Yeah. Um, So my, my kind of um, first lens uh, on the project was the clergy sexual abuse crisis. And, that year that we were kind of starting to conceive the project every year, Notre Dame does the thing called the forum. And it's a, it's kind of a series of programming meant to um, create conversation about a particular um, issue that's happening in the world. This year it's, it's on war and peace, for example, Um, that year it was on the clergy sexual abuse crisis. And um, so that was, uh, I I was looking for ways to kind of connect it back to um, what we were thinking about at Notre Dame. And um, I mean, Peter, St. Peter is, is such an incredible and relatable character, right? And, um, and we know him so well um, from, reading, from reading the scripture, reading the gospel. And um, Peter's also just a wonderful example of what it means to kind of face, face yourself um, uh, once, once you've uh, been the person who is betrayed, once you've been the person who has, who's made the mistake, right? Uh, we get this beautiful example in the foot washing scene. Um, where Peter says, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. You've got to wash the whole thing. And he kind of ends up uh, eating crow or whatever a little bit because, um, you know, Jesus turns the whole situation on its head. But Peter kind of is this um, this character in the passion that helps us think about what it means when we've fallen and what it means to then be entrusted with the greatest responsibility, of course. Um, and and what it means that, that Jesus, that God would um, would come down and be with us. Um, through the lens of Peter. So uh, yeah, uh, Peter, Peter's one of my favorite parts of the, the I think passion. I was speaking with J.J. Wright, who's the director of the Notre Dame Folk Choir, and he's we're t- talking about a particular work called The Passion, which was kind of put together to try to connect with some of the kind of contemporary issues that young people and, and those not so young are dealing with, and how do you relate them to The Passion of of Jesus. Um, 
So I think you're, I think, you know, a lot of people kind of like Peter for a variety of reasons. I have to say, I like, and maybe this says something a little bit about, about me. My favorite part of Peter is, is when, you know, they, when Jesus says, you are Peter and upon my rock, I will build my, build my church. Um, and the reason I like it and is because, do you remember what the exact next few verses are? Mm-mm. So Jesus then says, uh, I'm going to have to suffer and die. Mm. And Peter says, no way, can't do it at all. And then Jesus says, Satan, you're acting like Satan. Get so back. I, what yeah. I kind of love, and I guess in a little institutional self-interest, whenever we have readings for the for, for Peter's feasts and things, we cut out the part where he's called <laughs> Satan. I kind of think that's a little bit of self-interested uh, uh, editing of the the, mm. the passage that yeah. is there. But uh, but Peter is 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 as you say is a delightful character and um, you know very very relatable too. Um, so what what other issues have you used in addition to the um, sex abuse? Uh, scandal to kind of show the the inter interrelationship there's um well one in particular um we have the whole scene in the garden of gethsemane of course and um it's one of my favorite scenes in the in the the work um but what we found when we were getting into the the thinking about that scene was students were are really interested in uh and environmental justice climate change care for our common home uh, all these different ways of talking about it and um, the garden was one of these places where um, the students were particularly captivated by, like, why did God choose to be betrayed in a garden? And, and what, what does that mean kind of for um, what the natural world um, has to offer? What does that mean for our individual call to, um, you know, Pope Francis's call um, to care for our common home? And, and just a really beautiful and admirable reflection from so many of the students on on you know, th- this is a big issue, right? It's it's the kind of thing uh, we call these wicked problems, these kind of big, like uh, thorny issues. And so much of um, like the passion itself is is kind of like a wicked problem. It's such a massive story. And it, there's so much in it for, for Christians or Catholics. And our students often ask, well, what, what do I do in the face of this? I'm just one person. And, um, and one, one great example of, of that kind of manifesting was, uh, I remember a student said that to me, one student in particular, like, I, I just don't know what I can do, but, you know, Veronica exists. And all Veronica does is show up and wipes Jesus' face on the road. And she stands by him during his, his deepest need. And that's something I could do. I could do one thing. And so I, I loved that particular uh, <laughs> response from our students to something that's so thorny and so it seems like you can't do anything to to contribute but but what can you do you can be present you can stand by you can come you can come back to the table right you can come back to mass you can come to the liturgy and and be a part of this community that we have you know it reminds me of uh the story that is told about saint augustine where 
it's, it's a story so where there's this little kid on the beach who is walking and there are all these starfish who have come mm. up in the sea and he's, he's thrown them back into the ocean. He, and supposedly Augustine comes up to him and says, hey, kid, what, the too many, what do you do? You can't make a difference in, in this. There are just too many. What are you doing? And the kid says to him, yeah, but this starfish, it makes a difference. Mm. You know, and, and I think um, it's, a, it's another way of pointing, pointing that out that, you know, everybody can make a difference. Yeah, and we, we have this shared responsibility to make a difference, right? Like when it comes to these thorny things, like I might not be able to do it all, but part of my calling as a Catholic as a young person pursuing their a life of faith in the Catholic church is to grapple with these questions and to, to include them in my own life of faith, to, to work towards justice um, in, in light of what it means for me to have a relationship with God. And so I, I just love their witness through the process. In, have you, what reaction have you seen in some of the young people and the students when they experience the passion? It's a, it's a hard story. Um, and, and you, I, I noticed it in myself first. So I got to kind of trace my own uh, mm-hmm. psyche a little bit as we were going, right? Like I was thinking about the passion. I was like, man, I really don't want to think about this when it comes down to it. This is a terrible story. And it's, it's hard to be with, it's hard to dwell within. And, and I noticed that same thing. Um, but, but part of, I think what, what we worked to uncover in, in some of the the genius that happened in collaboration that we got to see was that there are these moments of respite in the passion that show us um, something that's so close to reality in our own lives that we can't look away. And Veronica is a great example. Simon of Cyrene is another great example. Mary of Bethany, when she washes, when she anoints Jesus's feet with the expensive oil is another example where you get to see one, one moment that, where um, Jesus or someone else in the story is treated with the utmost tenderness. And uh, there's a moment in the crucifixion scene where um, Mary is standing by the foot of the cross, of course, with, with St. John. And, and, um, and we have the beautiful thing that Jesus says, which is behold your mother and behold your son. And um, uh, the, the crucifixion scene in the passion is a very severe and intense scene, as you'd imagine, right? It's, it's the, the, the moment where it's all kind of happening. And there's this pause in the scene and we hear from Mary directly where she reflects on what does it mean to have been Jesus's mother? And the way that we invited students into writing this music with us was by inviting them to talk to their own mothers about what it has meant in their lives to experience loss. And so it created an opportunity for students to, to talk with their families and, and with their mothers and, and understand a little bit more about what it's like to be a mother and to go through these, these experiences that um, all mothers have. And the result is this incredible tenderness in the midst of crucifixion, right? We have a, a mother's love being displayed and just being poured out. Um, and, and all of the things that, that go into that, the falling short and the, the wishing that things could have been different. But all the while, Mary is present to her son at his moment of, of greatest need. Right. And uh, it's another just beautiful witness for us of, of what, what, how we can respond to the passion. How did you deal with, how'd you deal with Judas? Judas is tough. Um, always, I think, but um, 
again, I think the way that we responded to it, again, this is, we're taking the lead from our students a little bit of, um, shall we accept this tenderness um, was the way that we framed the betrayal. Jesus asking that question that even in Judas's betrayal, there is the tenderness of God present. Uh, there's a line that the Judas's kiss was the first bruise on, that's kind of um, contrasted with this line that Judas's kiss is the first bruise on Jesus's cheek. Um, so the, even the very act of tenderness itself becomes violent, but it is still a kiss. Um, so there's a lot wrapped up in Judas, but um, Judas was represented and, and we tried to, to, you know, acknowledge the fact that, you know, this, this is part of the story too. Yeah. It, you know, I, I, in a very different way, um, when we, when you're trying to kind of succeed at something and it doesn't always, doesn't always work and some people don't follow. And so some of the times I say is um, maybe a little bit uh, half humorous, but, you know, when people get so upset because they're working on something and it didn't completely work out and there was some failure, I kind of say, well, you know, Jesus lost 12 and a half percent of his followers. He didn't get, you know, he didn't get, uh, I'm sorry, eight and a half percent of his followers. He didn't get it all didn't right. He didn't get a hundred percent. Yeah. He didn't, you know, so let's be a little bit easier that we don't, you know, have to always get it a hundred percent sent right. Um, so uh, another character I want to ask you about, Pilot. Oh, Pilot. Pilot is so conflicted. You know, we had, there's a beautiful uh, uh, moment where um, we, we acknowledge Claudia Procula, who is Pilot's wife. And, um, and, and she comes and she, of course, recounts her dream and the ways that, um, that this has caused her suffering to know that they were persecuting an innocent man. And it's beautiful the way that um, our librettist kind of framed it because he talked about how um, she's seen with these eyes of love, Jesus, and what's missing from the picture is Pilate being able to see with those same eyes and how that's reflected in their own marriage that he's unable to see with these eyes of love and incredibly profound statement. Um, uh, Pilate, of course, turns around and, and convicts, you know, he passes him along to be, to be crucified, but, um, but yeah, Pilate, Pilate's another one of those characters where it's like, you know, you, you put yourself in his shoes and, and that was really our methodology. You're, you're asking about the particular characters, like what we invited ourselves and our students to do is it very much like an Ignatian spiritual exercise. You, you read through the story and you put yourself in the different characters' shoes. And, um, and so we invited the students to be in Pilate's shoes. Why might he have made this decision, right? What type of pressure was he under? And we get the whole, we just read St. Matthew's gospel on Palm Sunday, right? And we get the, a little bit of the preface of the stuff that happens at Caiaphas's house um, and, and kind of all of the vitriol that gets shared there where this, this is a, a crowd that wants blood, right? They're, they're not going to back down. And so when you're entrusted to leadership and you're entrusted to represent the interests of the people that you are in charge of, what, what do you do in a situation like that? It's so easy to make the easy choice. Yeah, and it, it's it's a little bit, yeah. I mean, Pilot is is an interesting, as you say, is very interesting character, and um, 
you know, you kind of wonder, you know, in, in, in him saying, does he condemn him or just says, I'm washing my hands? What it's, it's a very, um, it's a very intriguing. And I think, um, you know, when we're like 2000 years apart from it, our whole perspective is, well, Pilate is just a wiki. He doesn't, mm. he, he knows the guy's innocent, but he's not going to stand up for him. He just, you know, washes his hands, goes away. But as you say, if somebody's actually in that situation, which we sometimes are, not quite so easy. Right. Well, and that, that I mean, the presidential election was going on too while we were doing this, the 2020. And uh, man, such incredible conversations that the students wanted to have about Pilot in light of what it means to be a leader and what it means to, to, um, to be able to vote from a, a, a perspective that is informed by our faith and, and all the wonderful conversations that young people want to have in exploration of, of how to uh, make a good decision when it comes to public life. So lots of richness in the pilot scene. So JJ, if, if somebody wanted to kind of watch it, can you watch it? You can, we are live streaming it. Uh, uh, on Good Friday, which I think this um, interview will air shortly thereafter, but um, it will be on our YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube and search for Notre Dame Folk Choir, the easiest way to find everything, though, from listening to the recording to videos to interviews with students um, is by going to folkchoir.com. It's F-O-L-K choir, C-H-O-I-R.com. And it brings you to a page that just is like a kind of a, a whole list of stuff that you can Click through. You can buy the album there. You can listen. You can watch this live performance, and and on and on. Yeah, that's great. So JJ Wright, the director of the Notre Dame Folk Choir, thank you for spending some time with us on Just Love, and and thanks for the effort you put in with the students and everybody to kind of create the passion. So thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great. Um, so Tom, I think we have something that we want to recommend to our listeners that they go to folkchoir.com and they kind of look up the passion. It can be a pretty important way for um, them to enter into this, you know, and it doesn't always have to be during Lent. It doesn't always have to be uh, on Good Friday. It can happen at other times of the, you know, of the year. Tom, do you, um, you like the Easter time? Or do you like Lent better? What 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 part of the church here do you like better? Uh, you know, Matthew. For me, I think that I, I you know I could be a little bit of a of a weirdo in that I like Lent a little bit better. I don't know why because I just think I I and, and I know JJ made reference to this, but I think he went up looking up and and I love the story of the Passion. I love the, I love working our way up to you know, Holy Week. I love the, you know, the, the, um, as, as uh, you have made mention, I love to go through and actually we do the Pax Christi walk through Manhattan. So I love to participate in that in a way it's almost like putting, you know, yourself into sort of like literally, you know, the path, the, uh, the, the Via de la Rosa, the path of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, so I like all that stuff, but I do have to say, I love the joy of Easter too. So I do love, I love that, you know, the joyfulness of Easter and I love, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, so, but, but I, you know, I miss sort of the drama and the passion of Holy Week. So I'm, I'm a little bit of, of a, of a Lenten guy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do think that Lent is clearly 
uh, a much, much more defined time for the church than the Easter time. I mean, theoretically, in the liturgical books, we understand it. You know, and liturgically, you know, we wear white, white vestments during that period of time. But it doesn't have the kind of the distinctiveness that the Lenten season has. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I think for good reason, because it is a time, Lent is a time of preparation, renewal, a time of, you know, when we want to uh, try to deepen, deepen our faith. Easter doesn't have quite that uh, cohesiveness at a time mm. of the year. Although I have to say, I do like Pentecost. I think yes, it is yeah. a very, very <laughs> good uh, good time of the year. I like, you know, I like also, I do like paying attention to the Holy Spirit. And it's a little bit, Tom, it's a little bit of of kind of, I'm trying to get a little bit of a, of a kind of an odds on God. Everybody talks to the Father, to Jesus, not so much the Holy Spirit. So if I kind of call on the Holy Spirit, I don't think I'm competing with as many billions of other people <laughs> as the ones who are calling calling on there. So, so Tom, great strategy, for, great strategy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for rounding up our, our guests this week. And we'll be back again next week on Just Love. Just Love, Just Love God, your neighbor, self, and our world will be more just and more compassionate on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan.
to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world from the perspective of our Catholic beliefs and our Catholic values. It's Catholic, uh, I'm sorry, it's Women's History Month. We just talked a little bit about the contribution of religious, particularly women religious, to uh, the Catholic Church. Um, And we are also in the month of Ramadan. And so we, even though we're also in Lent, we're in Ramadan, Passover is coming up very shortly. So the three great Abrahamic uh, religions are now really coinciding with a lot of uh, the, the major religious religious times for each of those, those religions. And so with that in mind, I'm delighted that we have Professor Iqbad Akhtar, who is the Associate Professor of Politics and International Relations, Religious Studies at Florida International University. And so as we are in the time of Ramadan, it is um, great that we are speaking with somebody who can speak to us about those matters. Professor Akhtar, thank you so much for joining us on Just Love. Thank you so much, Mr. Sullivan. It's an honor to be here. Well, thank you. And, you know, uh, I think, unfortunately, I think many of our listeners may not be terribly familiar with Ramadan. I think in the United States, there, I mean, with so many people being Christian, there is a familiarity with those. And because of the significant Jewish population in certain parts of the United States, there is probably a little bit of familiarity with Jewish feasts and and Jewish celebrations, but I think probably far less so of of Islamic feasts and celebrations. So maybe, I know this is going to be very simple for you, but I think it will be helpful for our listeners. Can you tell our listeners, what is Ramadan? Sure. Um, yeah, thank you again for having me on the show. Um, so there are five sort of major pillars of the Islamic faith, right? Through the belief in the one God and Muhammad is the prophet, prayers, um, uh, fasting, charity, and going for pilgrimage. So one of those pillars is uh, fasting during the holy month of Ramadan. So the Islamic tradition follows a lunar calendar, which is shorter than the solar calendar that we use. And it is the ninth month. It's the month in which the Quran was revealed, which uh, to the Prophet Muhammad um, in the seventh century of Arabia. And it's believed to be the month in which um, everyone's destiny is written by God. Um, So it's the time of the revelation. And so in order to honor that, um, in order to shift out of our normal daily routines and regular time and shift into sort of spiritual time and a greater spiritual awareness. Muslims do not eat or drink um, or, or, you know, engage in sexual activity um, from essentially dawn to dusk for the entire month. Um, And it's also a time in the evenings of families coming together um, for Thanksgiving and sort of breaking of the feast. So it, has sort of great spiritual significance and also communal and cultural significance. Now, Professor Akhtar, from my perspective, when I hear you, you speak about that, 
it seems to me it's kind of a lot like Christian Catholic Lent. Would you would you say there are certain parallels? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it's uh, in the Jewish tradition, you could say Yom Kippur is one of the right. you know similarities that idea of fasting and sort of penance, um, people give to charity. I think for Lent, absolutely. Um, in the Catholic tradition, especially kind of uh, giving something up, right, um, is, is part of it. Um, but I think it, it in that sense, I think Islam retains um, a bit more of the medieval austerities i think that christianity lost in its sort of modernization so um but it, very very similar ideas the idea is that um we're honoring something that happened in the past and that through this fasting through giving up of something um and that should change who we are as a person every year and it should also give us a greater appreciation so you're giving up food partly in order to appreciate food, right? You are giving up food in order to appreciate um, God's abundance. You are giving up uh, some, you're honoring and remembering Jesus um, as a way of walking in his footsteps in your daily life, right? So all of those those things um, come through the slowing down and uh, uh, through the fasting, yeah. So um, Tom has heard me say this and our listeners Two, I think you are 100% correct when you talk about that in, in Catholicism, certain of our traditional kind of fasting practices have really been modernized. And I, right. I've often said that I think I haven't, I haven't been terribly popular, but mm. what I've often said is that I basically think that Catholics should adopt the Muslim, Islam's notion of, of fasting during Ramadan for for us in Lent. That is a very serious mm-hmm. fast from dawn to dusk. That is very serious. We have really made it very, very mild in our in our Catholic tradition. So I think there's something we could learn from from that. Uh, um, if I may say something, yeah, I know. I, 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 th- I think that, you know, we are constantly learning from um, each other's tradition. I think, honestly, you don't even have to, you can even ground it in, in real Catholic practice. I think, I mean, there were, you know, some of the monastic traditions within Catholicism had these sorts of fasting, uh, fasting yes. by by monastic communities, right? So you can even say, look, it's grounded in, in ancient Catholic tradition. Um, and yeah, absolutely. I think that because what it is, is that you have to have in the modern secularization of, of the world, you have to, in a way, create a space and a time for the resacralization of, of, of your time and in, in who you are, so that the accumulation of wealth or the constant movement is not an end in and of itself, but you're also attentive to the inner life, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, Professor Atta, you are completely on target because even apart from the monastic tradition, going back 75 years or so in the Catholic tradition, Lent was a much more rigorous time of fasting. And I may get this not exactly right, but every day of Lent was a partial day of abstinence. In other right. words, 
you in you are not supposed to have meat except at the one principal meal. That was when you could have meat, and then on Fridays, no, no, no meat at all. That's right. And the days of of fasting, which was pretty much every day of Lent, right. was supposed to be, uh, yes, admittedly milder than uh, in Islam, but still, you were only supposed to have one main meal. Right, absolutely. During, during yeah. that, now you could have yeah. two other smaller meals, and I mean, we had you kind of we had kind of had a joke in Catholicism because the two smaller meals weren't supposed to equal All right the big meal. meal. Right. So, so if you had a really, really large meal, yeah, yeah. then you could have two others. But that right. was kind of playing. Yeah. playing no, the, the, I mean, the the culture. I mean, I grew up in New Orleans, right? So there's a very strong Catholic tradition, and some of these traditions still echo until today. At least, you know, at least kind of the 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 fish on Friday and stuff like right. that. But yeah, um, no, absolutely. I think that that's something that you know. That's the thing. I think that you have to think about. Um, the the differentiation and i think the other thing that we see a, a lot of as well is that we are so lucky and so grateful to have the material wealth but also just the abundance of food so then being able to um i think even just like not just the spiritual but also the physical and they're finding even medical reasons for why people should fast as well you know yeah i think i think that is so that... something yeah ordained i think even within literally within our biology by god you know well i think that's that's right and and you know it's funny i was talking to tom a little bit uh before and he was talking about being charitable by whatever money he would ordinarily spend for lunch giving it charitably to right. a, one of the organizations that helps with overseas program right. and he was almost a little bit apologetic because well, it's kind of like I'm losing weight. And so it's it's that. But uh, as we talked about a little bit, there is a connection between what's spiritually good for us and physically good for Absolutely. us. Absolutely. You know, maybe not one-on-one, but, yeah. but I mean, but they're not opposed to each other. Exactly. You know, and when I when I talk about about sometimes the the Ten Commandments yeah. that uh from the Decalogue. Right. In the de- well, basically, if you had a group of people, right. the Jews who were coming to Egypt, going to the promised land, and they were in this desert, and they were like all they had with each other. Well, what the Ten Commandments were, especially the part that had to do with neighbor, was how could you get along in the desert without killing each other? So, so very simple. You know, don't steal from one another. Because if somebody begins stealing from one another, that's going to disrupt the whole community. If somebody um, goes after another person's wife, that's going to disrupt what's going on in the community. Don't lie to each other because if somebody lies, then maybe there's danger in how that's going to play itself out. So there is, there can be, without going too far, a real connection between what's spiritually good for us and what's physically good for us. Absolutely. And they're finding this even in, um, uh, you know, sort of the science, the, the scientific study of religion. I mean, they, you know, they 
hook up people um, with electrodes as they're meditating, as they're praying, and they're finding that like the long-term impact in just in terms of your mental health um, by engaging in religious practice, um, you know, is scientifically proven. And that's why, you know, even that's how meditation has become widespread in kind of a secular term um, that originally comes from a religion, right? So yeah. absolutely, 100% agree with that. Yeah. So let me ask you a question because you brought it up. I, in, in the United States, there now is a growing group of people when they do polls mm. who will describe themselves as spiritual but not religious or mm. spiritual but not adhering to any particular religion. Now, yes, uh, from my perspective, I mean, I think it is good that people are spiritual. That is a good good thing. Mm. But it also seems to me from my tradition that to be spiritual without some relationship to God, to divine, is not as full a spirituality as there is. Because I don't mean to be overly negative, but it can tend to be sometimes a little narcissistic. It, and what God does is basically say, yeah, it's about you as an individual, but there's something much bigger than me. It's not only about me. It's about a divine God who who cares for me and who I'm in relationship with. No, absolutely. I mean, I think like what we're, I think as a society, we're at this moment um, where um, kind of, you know, post-capitalist where the individual is kind of the center and then Western philosophy has pushed us, unfortunately, towards kind of secular philosophies to push us towards nihilism as, as a as a civilization, right? And so where the individual becomes God and the acquisition and the life of the material life um, is an end in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. So this comes, unfortunately, also with the decline of Christianity, right, in the United States, where Christian values, Christian stories. So, I mean, think about, I teach in religious studies. I get students who are coming from Christian backgrounds who don't know basic biblical stories, Right. But they do know the stories of Star Wars and Walt Disney World and all that stuff. So basically, you have the older mythology of our of our of our society, the stories that have animated us, that give, it's given us values are replaced by secular stories um, that are taken away from, uh, you know, that understanding of it. So I think one is just the theoretical, the mental sort of space. Um And then the second, I think you're absolutely right, because what it does also is that it manifests itself. When you say I'm just spiritual, I wouldn't engage only when I want to, as I want to, then there's no commitment that that's there. And then that's reflected in, think about even family life, the disintegration of families. I mean, it's not disconnected from the decline in religion, you know, that you have to commit yourself to God, to other people that you have to, that who, I think that's the core message of Islam, right? So the core message of Islam is um, Tawheed, the unity of God. And that's opposed to shirk, um, associating things with God. And from my perspective, that association of things with God is making the self God. And so if the desires of the individual and you say, well, there's nothing 
that society can prohibit except um, harming someone else, then there's no core common values that, that bind people together or ideas or uh, relationships, right? Um, so no, I agree with you. I mean, I think this is one of the major challenges. And I think, but I think at the same time, religion will endure. It will maintain. And I think that as long as people of faith keep to their traditions and they're able to show that they can become, they can be moral exemplars in society, people will gravitate because the true nature of the human, according to the Islamic tradition, is that we, our souls gravitate towards goodness and justice. So if we can exhibit that in our daily lives, we don't even have to say it. But if we exhibit that in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions, naturally people will gravitate towards towards that because there is a spiritual vacuum that has developed um, in the West. And I think that that is something that we can, that religion has the capacity in its best form. I mean, there's some bad things about religion as well, but in, in its best, it can be that moral exemplar for, for our society. Professor Iqbad Akhtar, thank you for educating me and educating our our listeners and uh and may you have a very holy and and spiritual ramadan you as well and and i hope you you have a happy easter and it's an honor and a pleasure and anytime i'm happy to join you thank you very much i will invite you invite you back without a doubt thank, thank you sir all right bye bye professor ikbad akbar the associate professor of politics international relations and religious studies at Florida International University. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just, and it will be more um, compassionate. And, you know, we talk about big issues, but each of us individually can do our part to make our world more just and to make it more compassionate. And in a certain sense, that's what Lent is all about. I mean, Lent is about each of us as individuals taking on a greater practice of prayer, of sacrifice, of charity. And I guess what we kind of say is, if every one of us took Lent seriously, well, the world would be a much better place. We'd be talking more to God. We would be looking inside ourselves through fasting, sacrifice, self-examination, and we would be more charitable towards one another. And if we did those things, our world certainly would be a much, much better place. I also did like what Professor Akbar kind of reminded me of, is that in a world in which there is abundance of food, and most of us share in that abundance of food, what fasting does is remind us that even though billions of people do have enough food and there is an abundance of food in God's world and God's creation. But it reminds us that there are also millions upon millions who do not have enough food. And so it's a reminder of our solidarity, which those who are not as blessed as we are to have enough food. So in in an, in another way, it increases solidarity. Um, and one of the things I always suggest to people if they want to kind of think about what it means to be poor. And sometimes we do it by accident. But sometimes you walk out of the house, maybe without your wallet. And maybe you don't have any money in your pocket. And you begin to realize it. And I've done that on occasion. I say, ooh. What if I need something? What if I have to do something? And you begin to feel a little bit uneasy about that. And then what you remember is that for millions of millions of people in the world, they don't have a spare dollar in their pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, if something happens, they don't have that extra $5 bill where, you know, if they lost something, they can just go and, and buy it. So it's a little bit of a reminder that we are united with others and people are in very, very different, different positions. So the Lenten practices are, are kind of wonderfully renewing for all of us. And so it's critically important that we engage in these practices and clearly some of the similar practices within Islam a little bit more strict than within our current Christian Catholic disposition is a reminder that we do need to be in solidarity with ourselves, with others, and with God. I mean, and, and I, I thought Professor Iqbar uh, reminding us 
that, um, you know, letting God into our prayer, our spiritual, I know that may sound a little bit silly, but, you know, it's hard to be genuinely spiritual on ourselves without God. Now, a lot of people do, and tremendously good people, but letting God in recognizes that it's not all about ourselves. It's about God and it's about us. So thank you for being with us on Just Love. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.